0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: This week on WealthTrack, our annual exclusive outlook with Wall Street's king of economists, Ed Hyman, and benchmark beating global investor, Matthew McLennan. The U.S. economy and markets are next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going.
2: Additional funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, a leg Mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, active management, flexible perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences. And the Fairholm Foundation.
1: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Wealth Truck. I'm Consuelo Mack. This week, we begin our annual tradition of having Wall Street's king of economists, Ed Hyman, join us for an exclusive New Year Outlook. And for the third year in a row, he will be paired with leading global investor and thought leader, Matthew McLennan. Now, for those of you who have missed his appearances over the last 15 years, Ed Hyman is a legend in his own time. The founder and chairman of Evercore ISI, Ed has been voted Wall Street's number one economist for an astonishing 38 years in the Institutional Investor Survey of Professional Investors. No one else comes even close to that record. Matthew McLennan is a noted global value investor recently profiled as a top manager in Barron's. He is head of the global value team at First Eagle Investment Management, overseeing more than $100 billion in assets, as well as portfolio manager of several funds, including the flagship First Eagle Global Fund, where he succeeded great value investor Jean-Marie Evillard. Since taking the reins in 2008, the Morningstar Bronze Medalist-rated five-star fund has delivered better than 9% average annualized returns outperforming its world allocation category and benchmark on both a total return and risk-adjusted basis. The investment climate has changed markedly from a year ago. In 2017, the S&P 500 had appreciated nearly 20% and had its first perfect record of advancing every month of the year on a total return basis. That means with dividends added. This year has been quite different with much more volatility Three down months as of December, including a nearly 7% decline in October. The Federal Reserve has accelerated the pace of its rate increases a bit to every quarter so far this year. And for the first time in more than a decade, what's called the U.S. yield curve inverted, at least part of it did. That means longer-term interest rates fell below shorter-term ones. In this case, the yield on the five-year Treasury note fell below the yield on the three-year Treasury note. Historically, when longer-term yields are lower than shorter ones, it reflects expectations of a slowdown in economic growth and signals a recession could be a few months away. Not so, says our top economist guest, Ed Hyman. He believes a recession is several years away, and that the economy has a lot of life left.
0: Yeah, I study the economy. Yes, and uh, I have ten different models uh, that I've developed uh, that are independent, and they all indicate that the recession is, is years out. So, for example, uh, real Fed funds are zero. You know, Fed funds are two and a quarter. Right. And the inflation rate came out this morning was two point four.
1: So minus inflation. It's yeah. zero.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's that's really early in the cycle. Say, last cycle, I think it was 200 basis points positive. Inflation was well above, or Fed funds were well above inflation. Right. Two full that's, percentage that's, points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's that's one uh, slightly more esoteric. Uh, in the last three expansions, when profit growth peaks, uh, the, the next recession is about four years out, and profit profit growth right now is probably peaking at, you know, 25%. So I have a series of those. Uh, and then just a little bit common sense. Inflation's still not a problem, and uh, interest rates are still really low. Uh, I had dinner with the group last night, and I asked them this same question. It was a pretty high-powered group, and the consensus was three years. Really? There's a general feeling. Uh, when you ask people, that the recession is quite a ways out. And that's what I right. think.
1: So what's so interesting, though, is I, I get a lot of research. I do not have high-powered dinners, yeah. but I do get a lot of research. And everyone's talking about a late-cycle economy in the U.S. So I'm, I'm a mid-cycle guy. I know. And, y- and you just came out with a report to yeah. clients that said, we're in the mid-cycle of right. our right. economy, You know, 10 years into an economic expansion. And right.
0: So in in, in 98, which was sort of late cycle, the recession started in 2000, but the uh, S&P had a 20% drop in 98, uh, and growth that year was 4.5, and growth the next year was 4.5, and I think growth in 2000 was probably 2.5, and then you fell off the edge. Uh, But I I think the recession is still a ways off. Uh, I also assume that the Fed will uh, not make my prediction (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: raw, which they could. They could if they continue to raise interest rates at a rapid pace or whatever. Uh, What's your take on the economy? Because you have talked, Matt, about it being late cycle.
2: Well, from an investment standpoint, it has definitely felt uh, later cycle just based on where valuations got to. We uh, don't really try to predict uh, where the economy is going to go. We we just don't think we can. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think we have some question marks in our mind. For example, uh, I acknowledge Ed's point that interest rates are low, but the stock of debt is high. So uh, we're not quite sure when interest rates will be high enough to force a slowdown. But if if levels of debt are higher, um, arguably it takes lower real interest rates uh, to create a slowdown in the economy. Um, The second thing uh, that I'd mention is that uh, profit growth is good. However, um, we believe that a lot of that profit growth came from late cycle fiscal stimulus. It's very unusual uh, with unemployment below 4% to get the sort of fiscal stimulus that we got in the last year. And I think that that really has propelled corporate profit margins to high levels. As we look forward over the next year or two, um, that fiscal stimulus is going to taper off. And and companies may even compete away some of the tax benefits they got uh, from that fiscal stimulus package. So uh, behavior uh, has been perhaps more late cycle in the credit markets as well uh, than we've seen. You know, we saw uh, fairly lax terms and conditions in the bank lending market, uh, and and so it's those kinds of considerations that we look at. And, and just from a common sense standpoint, uh, unemployment below four uh, percent. You know, we haven't been here for a, you know, over a generation, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, usually the economy doesn't stay uh, at these levels of unemployment indefinitely. So uh, we acknowledge uh, everything that, that Ed is saying. It's just right. that, objectively speaking, from a price standpoint, uh, we have some question marks.
1: And Ed, let me ask you about inflation, because, you know, wage price increases, for instance. That's one of the, uh, the phenomena, the trends that's, that's cited uh, by, by people who are saying right. that we're late cycle, that a recession might be closer than what you're saying. Right. Uh, But you're saying inflation is just nowhere to be seen. Uh, What's going on?
0: Well, what's going on is technology, globalization, Mm -hmm. intense competition uh, are the factors that are are forcing it. Uh, But on the numeric side, uh, the core PCE deflator, which is what the Fed watches, uh, or say an inflation measure, uh, has already slowed uh, to 1.8, below 2%. Right. And I think it'll slow to 1.7 by December. And this morning, uh, they reported uh, the data on productivity and unit labor cost. And with that, they give you compensation, Uh, so a measure of wages. And they revised compensation down from 2.8 to Mm 2.2, which is a stunning... Mm -hmm. I mean, 2.2 is really low. Mm -hmm. And so that puts... Uh, unit labor cost uh, at about one percent, uh, and if unit labor cost is one and inflation is two, then profit margins would naturally go up. And uh, I'm not sure whether that's late cycle or not or early right. cycle, but it's uh, you know it, it feels like the Fed uh, will tighten one more time in December and then stop uh, because of I'd guess a dozen things that have happened in the past three weeks mm-hmm. uh, oil coming down stock market being weak uh, inflation not being there uh, and then you have the constant uh, still a constant risk of a trade war uh, which they'd have to take into account right and Brexit and Italy
1: right so there's a lot going on that would that would make the Fed cautious. And, you know, there, there's been this phenomenon, uh, obviously, during the Obama administration, everyone was complaining about, you know, slow, below, you know, subpar growth, below normal recovery growth. And, I mean, is it possible, and, and we've talked to both of you about the fact that, that we've had an, an extended recovery because growth was so slow. Then growth picked up in 2018, Ed. Yeah. But, Matt, looking at you, I mean, is it possible that we're in just one of those situations where we can have an extended recovery, um, and where conditions are, um, you know, are okay. Well, and that, you know, valuations, you know, don't get out of whack, especially considering the correction we've had uh, in recent months. So even even though
2: growth was pretty strong last year, uh, when we look over the last decade, it's averaged closer to 2%. Two, two and, and on the surface, that looks like a number that's slow and steady and sustainable. However, that was fast enough for unemployment to go from 10% to below 4%. So it indicates a trend rate of growth that may be much lower than we were accustomed to uh, previously. And so when the fiscal stimulus comes out of this economy, we could revert to a disappointingly low rate of growth. It's just a potential uh, for risk, uh, but it's one that's out there. The second thing is that, one of the things perhaps the Fed is responding to is what's happening in asset markets. Uh, you know, when you look at the stock market, even though the S&P is basically flat uh, for the year, uh, there are sectors of the market that have been quite weak, uh, particularly some of the older economy sectors, mm-hmm. construction, uh, parts of you know, financial services. Um, there are areas that have been responsive uh, to these interest rate increases. The shape of the yield curve has flattened. Uh, you know, high yield credit spreads have started to move up. Measures of risk perception, such as implied volatility, have moved up. And so the Fed is probably looking at all of these things and saying financial conditions are starting to tighten. And I think the big unknown here is that the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet. Uh, quantitative easing was a huge experiment. Uh, I think that it was helpful to asset prices. So the unwinding of it uh, poses
0: another question mark that's just an unknown.
1: Right. So Ed, Ed, your response to what Matt's saying. You know, well, of saying. course, Matt,
0: he knows everything. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, uh, very good insights. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm listening very carefully, and those are all very good question marks. The Fed uh, certainly faces those question marks. Given the entire backdrop, I think the Fed would probably be well served to take a pause right. and look around and, and see exactly what they've done by raising rates this much and by shrinking the balance sheet, mm-hmm. which is an unprecedented event.
1: So let, let me ask you, Ed, about your economic outlook, because, again, a year ago when we were here, you, know, you, you, were, uh, you predicted a pickup in economic growth in 2018, which happened. And one of the reasons that you said driving it was, a, was the bull market, was a rise in stock prices, right. this wealth effect, was how important that was to the economy. So now we've had corrections in the market. Uh, with, so t- tell me what impact the corrections in the market are going to have on economic growth uh, going forward for the next slow, six months to a year. so They're,
0: they're going to slow, slow the economy.
1: GDP so, is going to slow. Yeah.
0: So I'm right. forecasting uh, GDP to slow to two and a quarter, mm. uh, which is slightly above the 10-year ten, ten average mm-hmm. uh, you point out. Uh, but like Matt points out also, two and a quarter apparently was enough to keep the labor market tightening. The, the wealth effect has gone from about 10% year on year right. uh, for consumer net worth, Now it's around 5%.
1: It's a big decline. Uh, yeah, and that mm-hmm. knocks
0: about half a point off of growth uh, in itself. A lot of the tailwinds we've had, yes, uh, like low interest rates, are now higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what the impact is of QE, mm-hmm. but uh, you have that uh, shrinking, QT, they call it, quantitative tightening. And uh, then you have less wealth effect. At, at the moment, just as I came in here, uh-huh. uh, the data is still very good. And then I work with our analysts, and we have a uh, analyst David Rosso, who covers mm-hmm. industrials, and I've been with him quite a bit in the past few days, and he he's picking up f- from companies he talks to, like oh. Caterpillar, that orders are up 12% or such a matter.
1: Interesting. Uh, one of the things that—so so you got the economy right when you were here a year ago, and And, and, Matt, and Matt
0: got the markets right. <laughs> Matt got
1: the markets right, because you said that there would be a return of volatility mm-hmm. and that there would—so uh, it's happened— now what? I mean, what's your view now? We certainly have had your volatility, Matt.
2: Well, I, th- I think the return of volatility is fundamentally a healthy thing uh, for long-term investors because uh, it's what affords you with margin of safety opportunities. I, I think- uh, And
1: margin of safety opportunities is if, if prices are cheaper, that the stocks you buy are-, are, are Better value are, are for are Better value. Term. They're less, less risky because they're not as expensive. And
2: sometimes, right. you know, when markets are only going one way, um, then it's- you know, it's it's indicating that people are complacent in their expectations, and, and that's always a, a risky moment. And even though we only saw about a 10% correction from the peak in the U.S. stock market, as we look more broadly uh, beneath the surface of the market, 75% of stocks were below the 200-day moving average. Um, outside the United States, we saw, you know, weak currencies, uh, you know, particularly in, in vulnerable areas like uh, Turkey and Argentina, where mm-hmm. currencies were down uh, around 50% at one point, um, some of the markets internationally have been weak, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more detail we'll about that. We'll talk about that in
1: part two of this interview, yes. But,
2: but, the, but the fact of the matter is that um, we have seen quite a correction, I think that's a, that's a healthy thing for long-term investors to, to take stocks back um, towards uh, more fair prices. Uh, the thing that's a little bit more difficult to gauge for us is that even though P.E. multiples look more reasonable today, uh, the margin structure of this market is very high. And and that comes back to the fiscal stimulus discussion we're having before. And so, uh, you know, we think that the markets are are pricing some deceleration uh, in the economy, but certainly not a crisis environment.
1: Because one of the things that you both agreed on a a year ago was that all asset prices were high. And we were looking at a Leonardo da Vinci painting, for instance, and real estate (laughs) prices. Remember that? (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, how do they look to you as far as asset prices now? How do they look to you a year later?
0: Uh, I guess they're still high. Yeah. My feeling is that uh, uh, it's very difficult to know what valuations should be. You, you know what the history has been. And we're now about 15 times earnings, mm-hmm. which is uh, seems about right on average. But interest rates are very low. And uh, sometimes uh, people go crazy and they, you know, s- spend $450 million for a Leonardo right. da Vinci. Right. And... Uh, It was, what, 20 years ago that the P.E. on the market was 30 30 times. I wouldn't be shocked if P.E.s were to go to 10 Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or go to 30. I'm saying strange things happen. Uh, But when I look at the economy, uh, which is my bailiwick, it looks looks frankly quite healthy. I don't know if you remember, but I've been uh, on a a, a mission to report uh, that the places I visit are doing well.
1: No, I do remember every city you visited was—it was like boomtown. Even Buffalo, we talked about. Even
0: Buffalo, (laughs) and so my my life is not very exotic. Like uh, Matt here, he goes to really fancy places, but I (laughs) I was in I was in I was in Cleveland and Columbus, Ohio, Uh this week, and they're doing fine. They are. They're doing you know fine.
1: Except we're seeing you know weakness in housing starts, and Dallas, for instance, was a front page. The Wall oh, That was the incorrect article I, oh, I found. Oh, was out. it? Okay. Yes, I, okay.
0: Okay. You know, I'm from Texas, so I know, I, checked that, right, I right. checked that out. But one thing I picked up uh, is that when somebody has a 3% mortgage, which is quite plausible, and they want to move from A to B for a better job, hmm. and they know they're going to pick up a 5% mortgage, yes. it pretty well eats up the economics of moving to a higher paying job. And so. Right. People are sort of stuck right now from that point of view. So if, if, if mortgage rates were to come down a little bit, uh, that could unlock a little bit of energy in the housing market.
2: Mm-hmm. I think, though, it's at a time of low unemployment, uh, it is a difficult environment long term to preserve purchasing power as an investor. Um, if, if we look at sort of the overall landscape where we have low unemployment and high levels of debt, maybe one of the reasons things feel good around the United States is is the 0% real interest rate, is the 4% fiscal deficit um, at, at a time of relatively robust economic health. And so maybe we've just had two easy policy conditions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a world where debt levels are high, that's a prospective challenge to future nominal growth in the economy um, secondly, you know, if, if fiscal deficits at some point get corrected, that's a challenge to profit margins in the economy, and and meanwhile, uh, even sitting in cash is troublesome mm-hmm. because the rate of interest on cash um, has been consistently below the rate of money supply growth, and so your ability to preserve purchasing power um, is constrained in many different dimensions, and so I think this is for long-term capital allocators still a very tricky. Uh, environment to commit capital in.
1: Actually, I was going to ask you, remember the TINA, that there is no alternative to stocks? Right, right. Well, you know, it's been now re- replaced by TIRA. There is a, a, a real alternative. Yeah. And what people are saying is that it's cash. So isn't yeah. cash um, you know, getting more attractive? Isn't that a, an alternative?
2: Well, the one difference or distinct, distinction I would I'd point out there okay. is that uh, imagine I was Pitching a stock to you that had a two percent dividend yield, but the company was issuing five percent more shares every year, you you would know that that was a questionable deal. Yes, and, and that yes. is cash. You know, money supply has been growing, three, four, five, six percent a year uh, for a long period of time here, and the rate on of interest on cash is below that, and so it's hard to preserve your purchasing power just owning cash. At least if you own a company with a 2% dividend yield, uh, you have the ability for earnings to grow with the nominal economy over time. And so you have the ability to preserve your purchasing power perhaps a little bit better uh, if you've selected uh, that security thoughtfully.
1: Right. Um, and per- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and purchasing power. So it, we we always talk about the one yeah. investment at the end of every show, and, yeah. and your one investment, Matt, was gold. And to, I, so first, Eagle, you you view gold not as an investment per se, but as protection, a hedge against catastrophe. And t- so tell me, gold did not pan out uh, in the last oh, year. It yeah. was, excuse me. No, <laughs> no gold, gold, was gold a,
2: is definitely a, p- a potential hedge in our portfolios. Yeah. And I think unlike cash, though, it is an asset that has preserved its purchasing power. If you go back in time 50 years mm-hmm. um, to just before the breakdown of the Bretton Woods agreement, you've seen about... Um, 6 to 7% money supply growth in the U.S. Gold's return has been slightly in excess of 7%, so it's kept pace with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Fed funds have probably averaged closer to 5%. And so gold has been a better place to preserve capital for the long-term all right. and which is where um, you are. And, and, right. s- and secondly, one of the things that's weighed on gold in the last year has been the fact that the dollar's been strong and, and interest rates have been moving up. Um, if, if the Fed's all of a sudden moving to pause, if... If people start to question the strength of the dollar, given the current account deficit, given the fiscal position, and given that the interest rate story may be coming into question, then gold could potentially serve as a better hedge. We don't try and predict these things, Mm -hmm. but we do feel comfortable owning gold here uh, at a level well below where it peaked back in 2011, while money supply has grown since then and fiscal uh, metrics have deteriorated since then.
1: So your one investment today would be for a long-term diversified portfolio?
2: Well, I think if you look at a long-term diversified portfolio, it implies more than one investment. It, uh, yes, it does. No, so so you, may just, you may have gold as a potential you may have gold as <laughs> a potential hedge in there, but I think you should also have some businesses that you think have um, some of the characteristics of, of being as good as gold. Long-term market positions, you know, whether it's companies uh, like Exxon in and, in and, and the energy space with mm-hmm. a four percent dividend yield, or companies like Weyerhaeuser in the in, in timber space with a five percent dividend yield. Or more defensive businesses, like an Oracle uh, Mm -hmm. or um, a Colgate-Palmolive, which has been out of favor for the last five years. Right.
1: And so these are companies that you could call, they're resilient.
2: Resilient. And they control scarce, intangible assets in terms of their market position. And so our our portfolio construct is that we want to take money out of cash, which we view as structurally repressed, Mm -hmm. and own things that can preserve purchasing power, be it defensive assets like gold. Or assets that can participate in the economy, like uh, well-curated equities.
1: And I, you know, I always put you on the spot as an economist by asking you for the, you know, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. And and a year ago, it was it was banks, which were kind of an iffy proposition. It turns out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would it be today, Ed? So, uh,
0: but thinking this about year. this, uh, when I travel around, uh, I look at what's driving local economies, and it's. It's new things. It's like Netflix or enter- other forms of entertainment, mm-hmm. healthcare, higher education, uh, new tech. Those are the things that are really driving uh, local economies, whether it's Dallas or Denver or Minneapolis, not to mention you know, the whole West Coast. Right. Uh, now you have uh, Amazon moving into New York. Uh, so Salesforce is my pick today all right Uh, it's a it's a new economy digital economy i hope it will preserve value but it's 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 you think about it you know exxon or warehouser uh those are old economy and solid companies for sure the the dividend yield i find very attractive on those Mm -hmm. Uh, but sales salesforce is my the new economy i'm a new economy guy
1: that's right a legendary economist (laughs) with a new economy pick right Thank you, Ed Hyman, Matt McClendon. It's great to have you both here again. And we will next week discuss uh, the outlook for the global economy and markets. So thanks. Stay right there. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is keep some bonds in your portfolio. Some new research has come out challenging the thesis put forth in Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel's now classic book, Stocks for the Long Run. As Jason Zweig, a frequent WealthTrack guest, and the Wall Street Journal's The Intelligent Investor columnist wrote recently, sometimes it's bonds for the long run. Although stocks have mostly outperformed bonds in recent history, that has not always been the case. There have been decade-long stretches of time when just the opposite happened. Treasury bonds and investment quality corporate bonds offer a fixed stream of income over a specified period of time. They've historically added stability to a portfolio. They still deserve a place in a long-term diversified portfolio. Next week, in part two of our exclusive outlook with Ed Hyman and Matt McLennan, our focus will be on the global economy and markets. In the meantime, in our extra feature, these two voracious readers will share their current favorite books with us. We will share those with you on WealthTrack.com. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.